0: And I'm the minister here with the North Valley Church of Christ. Now, this afternoon, I want to take a look at Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 to chapter 6, verse 4. It's a lengthy passage, but you'd recognize it. This is uh, where uh, uh, Paul talks about the wives, the husbands, uh, the children, and fathers, and, and our relationship to one another. <clears throat> and I'll, I'll first, let me apologize. Let me apologize now ahead of time. I'm uh, my kids have had an upper respiratory infection, and I they they've got been getting over it, and I thought, man, we we got through this, and just the other day I think I'm getting it too, so I may be coughing a little bit or, or clearing my throat a little more than usual, so I apologize. Let's uh, jump right into this, and what I want us to look at here <coughs> is, is something that we all know quite a bit about, and that's leftovers. Um, I just had a kid, a fourth kid, uh, little baby Julie. She's uh, just over two weeks old. And when uh, Jenny, my wife's mother, was here, she she did all the cooking. And whenever she cooks, she cooks for like 50 people. That's what it seems like. And she cooks every night. And so by the time they left, our fridge was just full of food, Leftovers. And at first I thought, man, this is great. I won't have to do any cooking at all. And it really it was only just a few days later, and you know, you open up that refrigerator and I'm thinking, man, I don't want to eat this anymore. Who wants these leftovers? This is just, oh, too much. And so I went to Smashburger or Five Guys and, and went and ate that. And in our text this morning... <clears throat> God is telling children, wives, husbands, and fathers that there are certain expectations he has for each Christian member of the family. And at the core of his expectations of us is that we not give our families leftovers. Let's look at this pivotal verse in Ephesians 5.21. It says, And be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. I I think that's the core verse. And then for the next 16 verses, God tells us how to submit to one another. And the concept here is this. Children, wives, husbands, fathers, all of us who do not submit to each other are not only disobeying God, but we're giving our families leftovers. Leftovers are the second best, right? God doesn't want us to give our families the second best. He wants His people to give their families their best stuff. So, this section of Ephesians is telling us how to give our families the best we have. Now, that's <clears throat> that's difficult to do because generally we are a selfish people, and really, you know, it's whenever you say, "Oh, that's selfish," uh, it's it's. Well, it sounds bad. It is bad. You don't want to be selfish. But there is a level of selfishness that we all have no matter what. There's no way around it. We all have it. Because if I'm going to talk about anything, I can only tell you about things that I know or that I'm involved in or that I witness. So I am injected in everything I'm talking about. So there is going to be a level of selfishness there in some way, shape, or form. <clears throat> now, well, the reason why I bring that up is notice, or if you read through the, this Ephesians passage in chapter five and part of verse chapter six, there that not once in that entire set of verses did God ever say how. Other members in the family should treat us. And what I mean by that is, we know that it says wives submit to your husbands, but you never see it say husbands, your wives need to submit to you. Okay, it doesn't say that. Nor does it say wives, your husbands need to show you love. Or parents, your children need to obey you. Or children, your uh, fathers ought not to beat on you. Or, or anything like that. We all understand instinctively that That's kind of the way things ought to be, but that's not God's focus here. What God is essentially saying here is this it's not all about how others treat you, it's about how you treat others. This is what God expects from us. He doesn't want explanations, justifications, or excuses, He wants us to just simply do it. Give your family your best stuff, don't be giving them the leftovers. And so I want us to take this passage one step at a time. And we're going to start by looking toward the end and working backwards. So I'm going to start by reading Ephesians 6:1, 2, and 3. It says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. We kind of think of children <clears throat> obeying their parents as a given, don't we? You know, isn't that supposed to be in their job description? But rebellion has been kind of built into our genes. Ever since the fall of Adam and Eve, there's an instinctive part of kids that just they just want to say no. No, I don't want to clean up my room. No, I don't want to wash the dishes. And no, I don't want to sweep the floor, this, that, and the other. And I heard the story once from, uh, this is from another preacher. He said he had gone outside to do some work one afternoon. And he told his son, Kevin, <coughs> that he could come out there with him, but he would have to either play in the front yard, play in the backyard. He could ride his bike up and down the, the the driveway, or he could go play in the neighbor's yard. But Or he could even sit there, watch him trim the hedges, or go inside the house and watch TV. But he could not playing the road and he said now son do you understand son dutifully nodded his head he understood and as soon as he told him to go ahead and go play he watched his son run off straight up to the curb put a foot out in the street and turn to look at him and smile (laughs) and you know what i I've, i've heard stories like that in my uh my whole life from parents and so when jenny and i first had our first kid joshua we were thinking, "Well, man, this is going to be tough. It's going to be hard." And he was the easiest kid. I I mean, it was so easy. We never had an issue. He didn't cry loud. He was very calm. As he got older, he was he did everything we said. It was the greatest thing. We just kept thinking, "This is easy. People, what are people talking about? Having a kid is so easy." And then we had our second child, Jonah. And now, <laughs> now I understand. These stories, the rebelliousness that he has, it's, it's, it's crazy. And God understands that tendency. But he's trying to help, especially teenagers, to understand that this is a choice that he is asking them to make. He's saying to the youth, choose to submit to your parents, not because you have to, but because you choose to. And really, he's asking young Christians to give their parents the best that they have and not to give them the leftovers. And there's a qualifier here. There in Ephesians 6.1, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. In other words, God is not asking kids to obey their parents if that parents ask them to uh, do something immoral or illegal. You know, They ask you to go down and, and steal something. Don't do that. If it, isn't, if it isn't something immoral or illegal, God is saying, do it for me. And God understands how difficult this can be. So he gives a promise. He says, do this for me so that it may go well with you and that you may live long on the earth. How will it make you live long on the earth? The experience that your parents have, they're going to impart these onto you. And if you take them on, you listen to them in general, you will have a longer life. You're not going to die. You're not going to commit murder and then be put to death. You're not going to be stealing and get shot in the process. You're not going to do these things because you're going to listen to your parents. And it's the only one of the Ten Commandments with the promise because it's that important to God. Now the other side of that equation is dad. Look at Ephesians 6, four if you got it with you or I'll just read it to you says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This is what God expects from fathers. Dads are expected by God to be the disciplinarians in the family. They set the rules and they are responsible for appropriate punishments. But there are times fathers can be overly harsh and cruel to their children and cause them to be exasperated and frustrated. That happens when fathers forget their proper role as a parent to bring their children up in the training and instruction of the Lord. (coughs) excuse me. Sometimes uh, that punishment may include spankings. But there are other times. Punishments can be kind of creative. Uh, I I like the story I read about the Amish uh, father. His, His two oldest sons took the old horse and buggy into town, found the local bar, parked the horse and buggy outside, and went inside and began to get drunk, inebriated. The father heard about it. So he had one of his friends take him down there, drop him off, he walked into the bar. His son saw him. a kind of a little little fright in their eyes, and he just walked up to him and says, No, no, sons, don't worry. It's okay. I can see what's going on here, and I understand. I tell you what, I'm going I'm to help you boys out. I'll take care of the horse. I'll take her home. You bring home the buggy. <laughs> and he didn't have a problem with them getting drunk. Again, man. You see, dads like these understand the idea of discipline. They discipline their children because they love them. They give their kids the best they can, and not simply the leftovers, right? Hmm. Now, let's go on to... The wives, right? Wives. Let's look at Ephesians 5, 22. Here's that that verse. This is the one that I think some people get uncomfortable with preaching about. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. Hmm. What exactly does that mean? Well, first, it means she should treat her husband just like she'd treat Jesus if he were there. Paul expands. <coughs> excuse me. Paul expands on that a few verses later. There, in verse thirty-three, when he says, "And the wife must see to it that she respects her husband." Now, this can get tough because husbands are not always respectable, are they? And, and really, rarely, if ever, uh, anything like Jesus. A, a two-year-old little girl was uh, consumed, you could say, by the tale of Cinderella. You probably know about the tale about Cinderella. And one day, she came across a photo of her mother and father on their wedding day. And a little light bulb went off. And she said, Mommy got married just like Cinderella. Her mom answered, That's right, honey, just like Cinderella. And then she got a sad face on her on her face. She, she started looking sad. And the mother asked, What's What's wrong? And she said, well, you didn't marry a prince. You married daddy. (laughs) Now, the mom didn't answer, but I'm I'm sure in her mind she was thinking, that's right. (laughs) I didn't marry a prince. The Bible tells us, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that means your husband has fallen short of what God expects of him. And guess what? He is going to fall short of what you expect of him too. Part of a solid marriage is realizing that you married a flawed man. It would not have mattered who you married. They would still have flaws. And God knows that. But he still asks you as a wife to ask yourself... Am I giving my husband the best that I've got to give? Or am I giving him leftovers? According to Ephesians, the best gift a wife can give her husband is respect. In fact, according to research done at the University of Syracuse, the number one thing husbands desire is respect. In response to the survey, most men said respect was when she makes me feel capable, when she is proud of me, when she is willing to follow my lead. Spoke to a, uh, a, fella, a preacher, spoke to a young woman once, who said she and her husband were seeing a marriage counselor. Neither she nor her husband were Christians and of course neither was the counselor and she said to the counsel she said the counselor was telling them that if she and her husband did not match up in three specific areas of their lives the marriage was doomed could not be saved they were just incompatible and it was obvious she believed him so this preacher said to her your counselor is an idiot I agree with that guy. Counselor is an idiot. The word incompatible is a word uh, it has got part of its, um, it's etymology, the, the origin of the word. Part of it comes from ancient American Indians. and It means two people who are too lazy to work at fixing their marriage. It's when people just give up on their marriages because they're unhappy and incompatible. Well, this fella told this married woman, your problem isn't that you and your husband are incompatible. It's just that you don't understand one another. Men are different from women. And one of the differences that causes many problems in a marriage is the communication when women want to simply talk about their problems. Now, now I'm I'm speaking in generalities here. But when women want to talk about their, their problems... And they just want the men to listen. Men inherently want to fix problems, and when we hear about a problem, we want to fix it, take care of it, and say, "There you are, <laughs> I fixed it." But that's not what she wants. She wants you to listen. Uh, and there's many other things. I, I remember when Jenny and I got married. It wasn't easy in the beginning. It was hard. It was a lot of work. It takes time and effort. We have a a class we do every few years here at North Valley. And we base it on a book called Marriage on the Rock. The Rock being Christ. And in that uh, series, I do this thing where I I have the husband and the wife. They each get a little bit of clay. I try to get pink for the girls and blue for the the men. I say, I want you to to make yourself a little stick man. And that represents you. Make a stick man out of your Play-Doh. They do that. Okay, now... When you got married, you guys came together as one, right? Now put those things together as one. And in, it, this has never failed. Every time they would just kind of smash it together, you know, they put the sick man together, make sure their arms line up, and they kind of smash it together. I would walk over, take to it. I say, now how hard is it for, these, for me to tear you apart? I just simply hold onto it with my fingers, and it just pulls right apart. Not, not much problem at all. I said, now, the problem is, is that you didn't work hard on putting the one new man. Because, you know, when two come together, they become one flesh. But in order to do that, you've got to really just destroy the creation of who you are. And I take the, the pink and the blue and I put them together. I just smash it and smash it into a ball. And I squeeze that ball over and over again. I said, now, imagine that's being you. Would that hurt? Would that be a lot of change there? Yeah. And, and it's just a big pile of mess. And then you have to re after you get it all really smashed together, then you got to reform it into a new person, and that's marriage. It's going to be like that in the beginning. It's going to hurt. It's going to be hard. It's going to be a lot of changes. When I first got married to Jenny, I you know, I, I I was a fifteen minutes early to everything. Early riser. I like. I like to sit down and have a cup. But I could not wait to have that first time where I would get up early in the morning, have some coffee. My wife will be sitting there in the morning with me. We'll have chit chats. You know, talk about the day or read the Bible. It's gonna be great. I woke up super early, made some coffee. I went into the, in the bedroom. and wake her up. I said, "Honey, get up." What's wrong with her? Get up, shaking her, and she's not even budging. And finally, I kind of shook her enough, and she gave me that. Evil eye. I didn't understand at first, but I know what it is now. Boy, she was not an early riser. I get everything early. She's all about being right on time. I mean, there was and those are the two of the big ones for me. So many differences I had to, to work on, and it took me years to really kind of change myself. And she did the same thing for me. As we ca- we began to work together, and it took time. It took effort. It was hard. <clears throat> and so, we need to remember that. Are we incompatible? Yes, we are. And you're going to have to work at changing who you are to be that one new person you, you want to be, you need to be, in, that, in your marriage. You, and so, uh, uh, women... You need to tell your, your husbands how much you respect them. Tell them how much of a man they are for supplying for the family. Give them the best you can by showing them respect. And you'll be taking the first step in fixing the marriage. Now lastly, let's look at the husbands. And guess what? I want to say something that's going to sound a little weird. But how do you submit To your wives. Yes. Submit. Here's how you do it. It's found in chapter 5 verse 25 of Ephesians. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. And Paul continues this thought in verses 28 to 30. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one... Ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ also does the church because we are members of his body. This is how God expects a husband to submit to his wife. <clears throat> a godly husband is to love his wife just like he loves his own body. But how does a man love his physical body? Well, I got to think about that a few things. When you go buy shoes, do you buy the most uncomfortable pair you can, you can find? No. When you go buy clothing, do you deliberately buy clothes that look ugly? No. When you go out to eat, do you order food you don't like or that you know is going to harm you? No. Because we try to make our bodies comfortable. I know it's not manly to say this, but we men really do pamper our bodies. And this is the way God expects a a loving husband to submit to his wife. He submits by doing things to make her comfortable and pamper her. Anything less than that is just leftovers. Here are some ideas. And these are easy things to do. Write her a handwritten letter and tell her how much she means to you. Plan a weekend getaway for the two of you and handle all the details. Write a poem or a song. It doesn't matter if it's terrible. If it's from you, she'll love it. Leave her sweet notes for her to find throughout the day. I want to uh, close out here (coughs) in a second, but let me give you this one last story. It's about a woman told about a Saturday when she was a girl. Her mom uh, was finishing up the dinner dishes, and her father stepped up behind her and said, Would you like to go out, girl? Not even turning around, the mother said, Oh, yes, I'd love to. Just let me finish up the dishes here. She finished up. They got dressed. They went out for a great dinner, great evening. And it was wonderful. Now, it was years later, the husband told, asked her, you remember that, that evening when we went out? And he explained it. She was like, Oh, yeah, I remember that. That was fantastic. And he said to her, Well... I was talking to the dog when I said you want to go out, girl. <laughs> but when he realized that she thought she was talking, he was talking to her, he thought, well, here's an opportunity, and uh, he took her out to a dinner. <laughs> but here's the deal. Learning the concept of godly submission is a core doctrine in scripture. God's people should reflect this submission in every area of their lives, whether with family, coworkers, neighbors. And one of the pivotal places we learn about submission is in our families. And what's interesting is that just before this verse about and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ, God tells us what the real goal is in verse 18. The real goal, be filled with the Spirit. In other words, if you want the mind and heart of Jesus to dwell inside of you, You need to submit to your family and give them something other than the leftovers. And so let us work on that this week as we make the most of every opportunity. Well, I want to thank everyone for being here with us this afternoon. Uh, If you want to uh, listen to this uh, uh, radio program online, you can catch us at www.nbcoc.net. Click on that radio mic. It'll be the very top episode. And in that same page, you can look at all our past uh, programs as well. And we'd love to hear back from you. Please feel free to give me a, an email. Uh, send it to Chris Macy, C-H-R-I-S, M-A-C-Y, at outlook.com. Let me know your thoughts about this program or our previous programs, or, or even if you want to ask me to, to work out on a particular passage in the Bible or do a particular program, I'm more than willing to take uh, submissions on that. I'm willing to submit to your request if it's reasonable. All righty. Well, everyone, have a wonderful day. I'm going to keep taking my medicine, and hopefully I'll sound a little better next week. Take care, and God bless. Sin and doubt to sweep away till shut on the better day. bring it out, bring it out, bring it, it, it out, till the sinful world be won for Jehovah's mighty Son. Bring it, 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 it out, ring it out, ring it out. This program was sponsored by North Valley Church of Christ.